Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. Um, it's still, is it still, is it too loud? No? It's okay? Okay. <clears throat> I'm shy, you know. <laughs> I actually am shy. I've shared that before. I was very shy growing up. So, um, but you came here to hear me, so, uh, or at least to get entertained in the, on, the, on the mouth for all of us tonight. So I might as well be heard. Um, If you were here last week, raise your hand. Okay. So last week, uh, for those who weren't here, I um, talked about praise and blame. Remember that? And particularly um, about, I was focusing on the blame side because um, I was motivated after getting an email from someone who was not thrilled at, at an event that I was part of and um, called it um, utterly banal and um, completely irrelevant to um, this person's life, um, and you know he 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 wasn't exactly um, you know pulling punches, and uh, he shared <laughs> shared it with me. So that that motivated me to talk about okay praise and blame, and particularly focusing on the when the arrows come your way and you know how to deal with that. So I thought it was kind of um, fitting slash ironic that um, still seems loud to me, but that um, I was the, I had a deal, I had to deal with uh, the other side of the equation and you know in being in the Dharma seat, um, people, as I mentioned last week, share a lot of gratitude, and and so I'm I'm pretty used to uh, just receiving it for the Dharma and really feeling grateful uh, that whatever I can do uh, touches someone. <clears throat> but yesterday uh, had a little little extra practice with it as um, a friend emailed me. Um, and said, um, congratulations, uh, check this link out. And it was um, a link to Bill Gates's uh, blog, personal blog. And he, it was inspiring books that he read this last summer. So, and I knew that, that um, I knew that Melinda had, uh, read Awakening Joy and really liked it, but I didn't know if he would get around to it. But um, but he did, and he wrote a very lovely thing, which I'll, I I went back and forth. Well, should I should I share it or not or whatever? So this is either either uh, will be um, Mudita for you, sympathetic joy, or you know you can roll your eyes and say, God, what an ego trip this guy is on. One or the other, so I'll just, you know, praise and blame, here we are again. 
but I will read it because I'm actually going to you know, use it at some point because um, I have the, the paperback edition of the, uh, of the book coming out soon and, um, and we just got under the wire where it can be used as a, as a blurb. He says, um, among other things, this is just an excerpt from it, I don't read a lot of self-help books, but even if you never read anything in this genre, this book is one you should, you should try. Um, he's a, uh, and uh, I'll say, Melinda and I actually went to one of his seminars. Uh, he's a very nice guy. <laughs> and awakening joy is very good. So I thought, wow, well, that's pretty cool. The, not only the now second richest person in the world, he was the richest person in the world. He's just number two. He tries harder, I'm sure. Uh, no. But the, the biggest philanthropist in the world, that's the thing that um, really inspires me. And uh, I could just feel myself getting just happy. And... Um, you know, it's easy for that to, to go to your head. Wow, Bill Gates. You know? And when, when I think about it, okay, the, you can't speed read through the, through the book. It's a fairly you know, thick book. So I thought, oh, gosh, he must have spent, if he's a fast reader, three or four hours. But if he's a, you know, not, then he, you know, maybe five or six or who knows how many hours with me in his consciousness. So that kind of, it was a little tweak in my mind. Wow, that's pretty far out. Yeah, me and Bill hanging out together. (laughs) But why I shared, I thought it was so ironic here from from the week before, utterly banal and completely irrelevant to Bill Gates saying, "This this guy really can share good stuff, okay? And the juxtaposition was just so striking, and I, I just had to laugh and share tonight as a kind of jumping off point the um, exploration into emptiness, into not only not taking it personally. But, you know, because it's so easy to get into what's called selfing in, in, uh, in Dharma parlance, where you're kind of creating this sense of self, either, wow, look at me, or don't look at me, is just another side of selfing. But how do you deal, we explored this a little bit uh, last week, how do you deal with both praise and blame and not take it personally. And as we started to talk about towards the end of the, the evening, um, it's really a direct practice into um, the uh, profound teaching on emptiness, on not-self, anatta, which is really the heart of the teachings. This is what the Buddha was pointing to, not just so you don't get an inflated ego or uh, don't 
diminish yourself, but because the more you can directly experience and understand and um, rest in the truth, in the actual truth of anatta, of the selfless nature of reality, this is what freedom is. This is what liberation is. Even more than any joyful experience, any pleasure or any uh, delight, any wonderful blessing in your life, and I am, as you know, if you've been around me, all in favor of not missing all the blessings in our life and not missing all the, the sweet moments in our life. But even more than those delicious experiences, the more you can truly penetrate to see and understand the selfless nature of reality, then the not taking it personally is, is much more available and is, um, is really a freeing place to hang out in. Now, I'm not suggesting that, I, yeah, that I'm there where I never take anything personally. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you in uh, short order. You know, you press the button and... What do you mean? Or, hey, that's, well, that feels pretty cool. Um, so this is not about having some lofty ideal that you don't measure up to and then feel lousy about yourself for not being as spiritual and profound as you'd like to be. But to see that in our humanness, we also don't have to take that personally and we don't have to feel frustrated that we do get caught at times the more we can penetrate and to touch from time to time moments where you're not around to either suffer or um, get lofty and lost in. You see, you have those capacities and the more you're familiar with them, it's like they hold the context for all of life to flow through you. And we all have these moments when we're not around, when we are in the middle of just a profoundly beautiful experience being out in nature where your your breath is taken away by the beauty of something and you're not there saying, you know, oh, I really, I really like this. How do I keep this here? Or I hope it doesn't go away. Or gosh, this reminds me of whatever. And this, all that me, I hope it doesn't go away. It reminds me of all of that. And just, wow. You know, that feeling of just, wow. Where you're not around, for it's just awe expressing your, itself as wow. 
or when there's a kind of merging that you sometimes can have, either with a, a really dear friend or um, an intimate partner, if you're fortunate to I- enjoy a, a, a deep kind of union where you merge at times. Now that's, I mean, that's really the payoff in making love when you are just love feeling itself and the boundaries dissolve. And it's like, wow. Where you lose yourself. Or you can lose yourself in dancing. Or lose yourself in singing. Or lose yourself, particularly in creative expression, where you lose yourself. It comes back very quickly, you know, as we know. But for a little while, you lose yourself and there is profound connection with life. So we, we know these experiences of emptiness. But to see that we can cultivate it, when you, when you feel how good it feels to not be the one that says, hey, that's pretty cool, or the one who's small. To see the freedom in that, where the mind isn't in the way, and it's just life experiencing itself through you, it feels, it's a whole different level of connection and um, lifting of the barriers between you and everything and everyone around you. And it, it's enough of an incentive sometimes to say, to say, I want more of that. Of course, that can be another selfing. I want more of that. But that's, that's okay. That's a, we have to start where we are. And if you're motivated, I want more of just not being around and losing myself. You know, you're, then you're motivated at least to just see how to access that. Think of it time or times in your life when you lose yourself. In fact, just uh, close your eyes for a moment. Just try this. And don't go for the most incredibly ecstatic, mind-blowing experience unless it's very much available to you. It can be rolling on the floor with your dog or feeling your cat purring and just purring together. See when you might touch that place where you lose yourself. I'll be quiet for a moment. And when you're in touch with that, just how it feels. What's, what's the sweetness of it? What does it feel like?
And what does it feel like perhaps when you come out of it and come back to yourself? See if there's a difference. You now go back into that space where you're just losing yourself. If you can just recall very simply Okay, um, before I go on, I've got, I've got things to say, but I'm just curious, um, you get in touch with anything? We can take a few comments that might, um, might touch us, either when or how it feels. And, uh, oh, thanks, Andrew. And put it right next to your lips uh, like, a, like an ice cream cone. This will be fast. Yeah. It just feels pure. Pure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. S- what, s- say a little, what's pure? What it say? Give me the... Uh, Innocent and virtuous and, mm. and um, organic. Mm, okay. Innocent, virtuous, organic. So there's, as you're saying, it's like a childlike quality, right? Innocent, uh, virtuous there's a, a, a sweetness where you're not trying to be anyone special. It's just coming through you. Lovely. Any, any other comments? We'll just see. Going once. Well, I... I was thinking about um, uh, the other night, my husband and I had, uh, we just pulled out of the driveway and we were heading off to um, Yom Kippur services. It was mm. the night before Yom Kippur. Mm. And mm. this, as we were, we were just starting down the road and there was this beautiful uh, stag, mm. male mm. deer, just mm-hmm. standing in the road staring at us. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my God. Um, it really was, it's like, uh, you know, I just felt that sort of the self just went out of my body and I was mm-hmm. just sort of at one with this amazingly beautiful, noble animal. Mm-hmm. Lovely, yeah. There's a kind of feeling that your mind stops, you know. You get out of your mind. It's another thing that we say, oh, I was just out of my mind but in a good way, you know. I got out of my head. Or one uh, could say, thanks, that... Um, what was my thought? Yeah, just the... the it's a short-circuiting where um, there's no one around to even um, think about how it's going. Mm. So... We all have this experience. I'm curious. I won't ask for any more comments. I'm just curious. How many people recalled some time when that happens? Okay. So this is not something foreign to us. Great. I'm glad we're on the same same page. This is a human experience, and I, I've shared it before. A beautiful treatise from um, 
Ajahn Buddha Dasa, he talks about Nibbana for everyone. It's great if you, if you, ever, if you want to Google Nibbana for everyone. It's, it's right there, of course. Everything's right there. Um, and uh, and he, uh, he talks about how we have these moments all the time, or I shouldn't say all the time, um, regularly. And if we didn't, we'd go crazy from too much stimulation, from, from being overwhelmed, from being in our mind and getting tense and contracted, that we every now and then kind of discharge and short-circuit. And we do each night when we go to bed, when we go to sleep. But even those other moments where you're completely at rest and you're not thinking your way through anything. So this is the idea of emptiness, is really seeing through this sense of self and resting in that truth where you're not separate from everything around you. Emptiness. So I want to talk a bit more about emptiness. This is um, the Buddha saying, you should train yourself thus. When those discourses spoken by the Buddha, by the Tathagata, that are deep, deep in meaning, super mundane, dealing with emptiness are being recited, we will be eager to listen to them, we'll lend an ear to them, we'll apply our minds to understand them, and we will think those teachings should be studied and mastered. So, here we go. What, what does it mean? What does emptiness mean? You know, besides what we've just pointed to? I used to think that emptiness is kind of like you know, this big giant vacuum cleaner that would come and suck everything and somehow the mysterious void would be revealed. Don't wait for that. It's much more accessible and available than some kind of extraordinary state. Although there can be extraordinary states or extraordinary openings where the mind does stop and we open to another dimension of reality. But we don't have to wait for that to happen. Emptiness, it's such a a mysterious word, emptiness, because it's like nothing to hang on to. It just, on one one hand, one level, means that um, things are, everything, all phenomena are empty of a permanent essence, just in terms of an inherent substance, because everything is just arising out of causes and conditions and is here for a while in a particular configuration, and then it changes. You know, this bell, it wasn't always a bell. It was made out of elements that came in to form this piece of metal this way, and now we call it a bell. It'll probably last for a long time because it's, it's pretty strong, but it will not be a bell for eternity. 
This building is here right now. It's here for a while. It will at some point not be here. And everything that you can see in this physical plane is here for a while, coming due to causes and conditions, does its, has its configuration, and then becomes something else, including you. And that's the, another dimension of, of emptiness. You are a configuration of life that's come together for a finite period of time, and then at some point that pattern organized as you disintegrates and it's no longer you. And that is where the, the real freedom comes in seeing that you there is nothing in you that is a fixed, abiding, non-changing place. And so this sense of self, who we think we are, we don't own this body, we don't own this mind, it's just following its own laws, is here for a while, and then changes. And so there's nothing to cling to and preserve. You're a continually changing process. As I, I sometimes do this in the, uh, the introductory class, uh, this is a simple pointing that I, I, I find very helpful. Uh, just close your eyes for a moment, and perhaps you've done this before, and instead of thinking of yourself as a noun, as some body, as something called you, just relate to yourself for a few moments as a verb. You are a verb, a field of activity that is organized in a cohesive pattern called you. But you are a verb. Feel the verbness, the fluidness, all the systems in the body, the mind, creating thoughts and moods, continually changing, all all happening on its own, all following its own laws. You're a verb. And see the, the ease and the rest that comes from not getting caught in the sense of self, of this thing to defend or protect or take care of, although it's important to protect and take care of it, of course, on one hand. But for a while, when you're not preoccupied with this thing, to just be the activity, the field of activity of life called you. Just resting in that. And the mind might wander, oh, 
I didn't stay there. I got lost. It's okay. Just come on back and relax into the pure being of life as it expresses itself as you. So if you touch that even for a moment, it's a pointer to a a perspective that one can just go through one's life with. The, The Buddha says, the essence of the practice, if you want to know the essence of the practice, nothing should be clung to as I or mine. That's, that's basically the point. If you can get that, ah, there's real freedom. Because the mind without clinging is a mind that's free and a, an opening to true liberation. Again, the Buddha. I'll read a few quotes on emptiness. The Buddha. This is how one attends inappropriately. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What was I in the past? Shall I be in the future? Should I not be in the future? When should I be in the future? All of those things are inappropriate or leading to suffering. Am I, including, am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where is it bound? The I am is a conceiving, he says. I am this is a conceiving. I shall be is a conceiving. I shall not be is a conceiving. All of this is what is called eye-making. Ajahn Buddhadasa, again, he talks about it. Uh, Eye-making and my-making. It's actually a term that the Buddha uses as well, but but Buddhadasa really really gets into it. All this selfing, and it's true not only in the classical Buddhist teachings, but in other traditions, this is the pointer to freedom. If you're familiar with Ramana Maharshi, one of the greatest, wisest sages in uh, the last century and for many centuries, the, the real deal, his main main practice, well, his first practice is just sharing the silence. But the, the practice for those who can't just rest in the emptiness, in the silence, he says, notice the I thought. He calls it the I thought. This is his practice of self-inquiry. Notice the I thought. You start to notice that 
almost every thought through your head is in one form or another about me and my relationship to everything around me. So you don't have to look very hard to, to find it, but he says, just, and you don't even have to get rid of it. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about getting rid of anything. Just the way I play around with this practice, just take a hold of that I thought and see the source of the thoughts in a much, not why do you have the I thought, but where do those thoughts come from before they take the form of I? So he says, hold on to the I thought and go back before there is an I. And that is a way to directly experience who you are before this I thought. Eckhart Tolle, another really um, wise being, you say, I want to know myself. You are the I. You are the knowing. I want to know myself. You are the consciousness through which everything is known. And that cannot know itself. It is itself. His, his great enlightenment came when he said uh, he was very depressed. You might, know, if you've read his uh, Power of Now, he talks about it. He was very depressed and was suicidal. And he was, he was so down and about to he, just take his life. And the thought came to him, I can't stand myself anymore. And then he listened to what was going through his mind. He said, what does that mean? I can't stand myself anymore. Well, if I can't stand myself, who's the I that can't stand myself? And he took hold of that I thought, as Ramana Maharshi suggests, and it took him all the way to awakening. That was his awakening from the depths of despair where he couldn't stand himself any longer to seeing who is this I that knows or that somehow is, is annoyed with myself. And he saw that the real knowing, that which knows, is not is not tainted by all the yucky stuff that he sees. So he, he goes on to say, there is nothing to know beyond that, and yet all knowing arises out of it. The eye cannot make itself into an object of knowledge, of consciousness. So you cannot become an object to yourself. That is the very reason the illusion of egoic identity arose, because mentally you made yourself into an object. That's me, you say. 
And then you begin to have a relationship with yourself and tell others and yourself your story. By knowing yourself as the awareness in which phenomenal existence happens, you become free of dependency on phenomena and free of self-seeking in situations, places, and conditions. In other words, what happens or doesn't happen is not that important anymore. Things lose their heaviness, their seriousness. A playfulness comes into your life. You recognize this world as a cosmic dance, the dance of form, no more and no less. This is in Hinduism, they, they call it lila, the play of consciousness. The whole thing is just the play of consciousness. And when you can see consciousness is just kind of moving through this form called you, you don't have to take your story quite so seriously. It's just, a, it's just the movie of you know, the James Barris story, you know, the Ghidra Gershman story. You know. It's just this play that's come together. And then you can be a lot lighter at it. You know, it's like you're watching this movie. Well, this is a pretty interesting reel on this film. It's not to say you don't play the movie fully, but the more you have that other perspective that it's just life playing itself through you or as you, then you can play. You can really play a lot more in your life. When I was young, I had this kind of access to this that um, I write about in in the the end of Awakening Joy, uh, in the chapter on being, just the joy of simply being. When I was young and I was, I had this thought that would regularly visit me, and it's probably one that maybe many of you can relate to, what does it mean to be alive? Another way I'd say it was, it was kind of pointing to, how did, how did I get here? But I wasn't looking for an answer. Just kind of like, how has life, I didn't use these words because I didn't, it was a little bit too, you know, I was, was young, but how did life coalesce into this form called me? And how am I able to know myself? I don't know if that makes any sense, but when I press that button, it would like I be, I turn myself inside out. And I, I, that's the way I short-circuited my mind. How is life knowing itself right now? What's going on here? You know? and, I, and I would burst out laughing. It was my own private joke. And I, would, I named it the big giggle. <laughs> and when I'd, when, I'd, when I'd remember, I would just press that button 
which I do now, uh, it's still with me. As I say it, I'm just kind of like feeling it. But whenever I'd remember, oh, this is life just kind of knowing itself. How's that happening? And I'd, it would be my own, my own joke. It was very different than the other thought that would sometimes visit me, like, how did I get on this planet and I, I, don't, I don't belong and I, I must be some mistake and what if they find out and I'll be sent back? That was another thought that visited me quite regularly. You know? so it was, but they were both there. The, the first one is a whole lot more fun, by the way. Did you ever ask yourself, how did, you, how did life happen? And it's called you? That's it. That's, that's pointing to this place or this perspective that's beyond me and other. It's just life. And the awareness, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about the awareness coming through us and that that's who you really are. Okay. The, the tricky thing is you can reify that and say, oh, that's who I am. I am my awareness. Where is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, this is, wait, this is from uh, Nagarjuna. He says... Uh, Emptiness is to relinquish all views, but those who cling to a view of emptiness are incurable. You know, you know? And it's kind of like that. I am, it's all empty, and I am the awareness that sees it. How cool. You know? My awareness is better than your awareness. You know? When it, you don't own the awareness. It's just kind of happening. Do you say, I think I'm going to be aware right now. Try, as I've said here a number of times, try to turn it off. See if you can turn off your awareness. See if you can not hear the words coming out of my mouth right now. Come on, try hard. See if you can turn off your awareness. Can't do it. Do you own that awareness? It's just happening all by itself, as I often say. It's just awareness awareing. So to see that, that perspective, you play at your life. And sure, there's the relative and the absolute. And when somebody says, you know, you are the cat's meow, there's a part of you that says, well, that feels good. But there can be another part that says, that realizes, hmm, just life enjoying itself in that moment. Or somebody says, what kind of a jerk are you? There's a part that says, ouch. And perhaps, little by little, another part that just sees it's life getting annoyed with itself through these forms. And that makes all the difference, just a little bit of space in this serious 
drama called me. Just to penetrate into that emptiness and then there's a lightness and a playfulness that can take you all the way to liberation. So, we have a few moments. Anything that uh, you want to bring up, share, ask, complain, give me some blame, give me some praise. <laughs> no, I, you don't have to give me praise. Yeah, <laughs> here, thanks. It seems to me a lot what you talk about is just being childlike. Before, when kids would just experience things, and then adults will start asking them, what did you think of that? What is your favorite subject at school? What is your favorite this? Before that, they don't place any judgment on it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something bad that makes them cry, they're not judging. Mm-hmm. They're crying. They just do it. So mm-hmm. it seems like it's a lot just being childlike and not placing judgment on how it relates to you. It just is. Just like a kid doesn't even think about what's going on until they see how it relates to other people and they're told, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, how, mm-hmm. if it to place a judgment on it, do you think this is good, this is yeah. bad, how does it relate to you? Exactly. You might, uh, you probably are familiar with the line, except ye be converted as children, you will not know the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about. To be that childlike and that authentic and immediate that the mind doesn't get in the way with judgment or separation. It's just naturally alive. Yeah. And that, for me, that is an avenue, just this sense of wonder, of awe. You know, the, the, the kid that would, you know, drag my parents to the Hayden Planetarium as often as I could and look up at the ceiling and go, wow, wow. We all have that wonder and awe. And that can be a doorway. And then the awe and wonder just become, um, it collapses. It's not me having awe of something else. It's just life in awe of itself. Yeah, that's cool. Um, when you were speaking of the emptiness, like uh, when I think of emptiness, I think of emptiness as everything. Yeah, what you think of? Emptiness as everything. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel alone. So when I think of emptiness and I think of being in the universe and being part of this, you know, big thing happening, this consciousness coming through me and through everyone else around me, and it's like, you know, as it goes out from here to there to there to there and to smaller particles, it's all one. So I don't feel alone in the emptiness. The emptiness is just there. Beautiful. That's exactly the feeling. It is completely connected. The, 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 the flip side of emptiness is interconnectedness, where everything is part of this continual flux and transformation that we're connected to, 
to everything, on, from the smallest inside the nucleus of an atom to galaxies and, uh, and universes. And just, this is one little thin band on the spectrum, human beings talking with each other, or consciousness knowing itself through these forms. But emptiness naturally results in a sense of interconnectedness. And that's another way of saying love. That's, where, that's what real love is, because there's nothing in the way, and it's just a, a, a true merging. Thank you. Well, we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> so, so one of the things that was really helpful to me was when, I can't remember where it was, but talking about emptiness, the nest part, meaning actually full of everything. That nest, it, it means full of everything. Full of, rather than void. Yes. It's, it's yeah, <laughs> did you want to? Yeah, so, so when I look at it, it just is so, uh, you know, and that if it weren't for the space, there wouldn't be room for <laughs> everything and as much as things go away, it's also the, the, that magical childlike quality of things appearing out of... Mm-hmm. Continual transformation. Yeah. yeah. And most of it is space, as we know. Yeah, and you know, awareness. Just, just, a little, just a little fraction is actually matter uh, on, on, a, on a physical level. It's mostly space in awareness... Just kind of consciousness yeah. and this play of consciousness, and it's it's full of everything and full of no thingness. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Cool. Yeah. When you were speaking uh, earlier of impermanence, I think that I you know I have that intellectually. It's mm-hmm. getting into my being that sometimes is challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where does the soul fit into all of that? Is it a, coll- a collective soul? But where, where does the soul fit? Where is the soul? Well, soul, in Buddhist teachings, is not a, a word that's used. But it's just... One could say, on one level, it's semantic. What you're call, what do you, when you call, when you say, "Where is the soul?" What do you, what do you mean by soul? You're asking mm-hmm. me. Right? Yeah, uh, close to your mouth. So yeah, can... I'm sorry. It, it uh, a sense of something that that supersedes all else. That is. Again, always permanent. I mean that—that's the—that's the I guess the the, the 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 question or the conflict or the and it, something within you. Well, I don't. That's I. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. Is I mean, it? Well, because that there is the, the a key. I guess it is a relate. It's related to me somehow. Yes, it's related to mm-hmm. me. I, letting go of the fact that. There is no soul. There is no. There is. There is no. Not. Not. No. Nothing. <laughs> is that what I have to do? 
See what happens when you let go of even that. When you let go of even that, you, you letting go of that, it's like the mind letting go of a concept to see what's here. Now, I, I, don't, I don't personally relate to an, a fixed abiding essence that is unchanging within me. However, if you relate to rebirth, which is a very central part of the Buddhist teachings, there is a stream, one could say a stream of consciousness that is just like everything else in evolution. That is, it's not that it's fixed, it's just that it is going through its own journey. But on one level, there's, an in, there's that individual stream of consciousness. On another, it's part of the greater collective consciousness. Or one, I, I just call it mystery, actually, is the word that I come down to. But if you're looking for an abiding place, these teachings don't will probably not mm-hmm. satisfy you. However, to let uh, to let go of the concepts, I almost forgot why I called this "No Place to Land." Okay, oh, <laughs> gee, there's a title there. Okay, I forgot the uh, <laughs> punchline. <laughs> Thank you. It's almost time. My um, studying with my with one of the main inspirations in my life, um, this Advaita teacher, uh, H.W.L. Punja, Punjaji, or sometimes known as Papaji, and I spent some time with him in, in India, very emanating love, wisdom, emptiness, talked about emptiness all the time. And he would among the many things that I took back with him, from, from him with me, he would say, you know, as when I try to figure things out, he would say, no place to land. There is no place to land. <laughs> Meaning, not in this body, not in this mind, not in these concepts that are trying to figure anything out. When you let go of all the figuring out, there is a freedom beyond the human mind trying to sort it out. And particularly the concept of some fixed abiding entity to whom life is happening can create this sense of, of false separation from life just knowing itself. So when you get stuck in concepts, or not stuck, when you're trying to sort things out with concepts, you might just try that. No place to land. It's, been, it's like it pulls the rug right from you, and you are free of figuring out. That's why I call it the mystery. It's just a mystery. And there's, it's not a mystery that you have to solve it's a mystery that you can just relax in and be the mystery itself.
then you're free. So, okay, let's. Uh, it's a little over time. Forgive me. We'll just have a very short dedication. So feel, feel the mystery. Be the mystery. No place to land. Just relax and let life express itself as you. Feel the peace if it's there, the aliveness. And share that with all beings everywhere. May all beings find freedom and peace in the understanding of emptiness that leads to true connection and separation and freedom. May our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you for your attention. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.